Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer web radio show brought to you by Combox Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, author of Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, homesteading, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Comboc Feeds. At Comboc Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. I'm about to say something that may shock you. 
there's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. We've got a great show lined up for you today, nutrition do's and don'ts for poultry. So uh, we're really looking forward to what Dr. Uh, Maurice Bateski has to say about this topic. I'm going to give you kind of my two cents worth over the last uh, 11 years now of uh, really being in the backyard poultry uh, arena for about 10 years, 11 years full time. This is our 11th year coming into our 11th year. And uh, from having poultry nutritionists write for the magazine, talking with them, attending uh, webinars and seminars on this. And uh, we still, you know, we, we share a lot uh, on our uh, Facebook page with nutrition, as well as uh, I try to do what I can on, on the forums and then, of course, our Facebook Lives. In fact, I got a tremendous, uh, an amazing Facebook Live a couple of things uh, that really kind of relate to nutrition that's really an eye-opener for a lot of folks. But but uh, just kind of give you my take, and then we'll get to uh, Dr. Pateski, and he may have some different uh, uh, information. I'm sure a lot more depth, a lot more science to it. 
Titus um, uh, know more about poultry nutrition than any other species, I think, on the planet. I think Dr. Uh, Bridget McRae from Auburn University t- uh, used that uh, um, in one of our earlier podcasts, but, but we just do. Uh, if you think about how, you know, how many uh, billions of chickens there are on the planet and how we, it, it, we use that as protein to feed the world, uh, we know. Uh, probably more about the nutritional requirements uh, of a chicken than any other species on the planet. Um, so first, we'll start off with that. Next, um, <laughs> we we often talk about on the show too many treats, killing them with kindness. We are seeing, and I've talked to a lot of the poultry um, labs around the country, we're seeing a, a increase uh, in fatty liver disease. Uh, and we even had someone post on our Facebook page that they had and have lost Bird's death uh, that was contributed to fatty liver disease, and she, this person, totally had to revamp her way of thinking regarding uh, what she thought was spoiling her chickens, uh, treating her chickens with too many treats, uh, spoiling them, humanizing them, if you will. Um, and then we talk about scratch and other things. So um, the video I did about three or four months ago was, was amazing. Um, what I did is I went out to the front pasture. I've got about six uh, attack roosters in the front pasture. And um, I went out there to the front, and I sprinkled down about a 12-inch square or 12-inch round, I guess, uh, area of laying pellets, nutritionally balanced laying pellets. And I called them over, and all six of them gathered around and started eating the laying pellets. And then after about 60 seconds, I sprinkled a nice thin layer of scratch on top of those laying pellets. We videoed this live. Um, You can go back and watch it. And what did they do? You could see it was almost like a, a, a fast-forward time-lapse photo, but it wasn't. It was real time of the scratch from one side to the other side, just totally disappearing from those laying pellets. That's what they were eating. They stopped eating the laying pellets. They were eating the scratch, uh, the nutritionally void scratch. Um, and, and then once the scratch was gone, they turned around and walked away. Uh, scratch, they will eat that scratch to meet their daily energy level or need, and then they walk away and they're done. Um, I think one of the worst things you can do is mix scratch and laying pellets, and that video proves it right there. They will eat the scratch, leave the nutritionally balanced laying pellets behind. Um, and we talk about treats. Every ounce of treat your chicken eats is an ounce of nutritionally balanced feed that they're not going to eat. So they're not getting the required calcium. They're not getting the required amino acids and the vitamins and the minerals that they need to lead a healthy, productive laying life. Um, and then look, what's going to happen is when they're not getting the calcium they need from land pellets because you're mixing them scratch or giving them too many treats, then they're going to start pulling more calcium from their bones. It's a 60-40, 60 from feed, 40 from their bones. As far as the calcium is concerned, they'll pull more from the cow, and that's not healthy for your birds, okay? You, I mean, you, you talk about how much you love your birds. Oh, they're my pets, and I treat them, and I spoil them, and then now you're doing something maybe that's not healthy for them because they're having to pull more calcium out of their bones, which is not healthy for your flock because you're giving them too much treats. So, so we talk a line about that. Uh, people say, oh, but my chickens love treats. They love scratch. They come a-running whenever I come outside shaking that pail of treats. They love their treats. So I did another scientific video. Well, no one scientific. It was just kind of poking the stick at the monster. Um, and so I walked outside, and I had a, a plastic feed a scoop. And what was in it? Well, I started the video like this. Okay, I said, I talked to my audience. I said, guys, guess what? I've got an awesome product. You're going to love it. It's good for your chickens. It's nutritionally balanced. Chickens love it. They just come a-running. It is amazing. It's, it's, it's found everywhere. Um, it's very uh, affordable for everybody, and it's just amazing. And, uh, and I had walked out there and kind of stayed out there for a little bit before I went live. 
so all the all the, the chickens would kind of roam off. And then I started shaking that pail, shake, 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 shake. And what happened? All the chickens started coming running over to me. I got videos of from all corners of the pasture. And then and then I turned turned the video on myself and I said, What is this amazing, awesome, nutritionally, you know, and then I showed them this laying pellets. Okay, and what did the chickens do? I sprinkled some down and they ate the laying pellets as if it was a mealworm or this or that or a treat or a scratch or whatever the case may be. Um, and so this this theory of, oh, but my chickens love treats and they come around and want to have treats. Perfect video right there in your face um, of them coming and running for nutritionally balanced uh, laying pellets. Um, and then <laughs> we've had folks, you know, because right now it's just it's massive across the board uh, now that winter's approaching. Oh, well, I'll keep scratch around because I'm going to give scratch to them in the evening evenings before it gets cold because that's going to keep them warm, okay? Um, and I'm not disputing any scientific uh, information out there that, that proves that or not. Um, we've had poultry nutritionists come on the show. We've addressed that with them, and they say, you know what, Andy? Um, even if you do that with laying pellets, it's going to, uh, you know, Say keep them warm. It's the same same effect as the corn. What's in those laying pellets? We'll go look at the ingredients. Okay, you got corn. Okay, I get it with the whole grains. You know, a little bit more to try to take a little bit more energy to grind that. But hey, laying pellets, same thing. And then you're not dealing with the scratch uh, nutritionally void. Um, we've had nutri- poultry nutritionists on my tour over years and years say, look, um, we would be absolutely happy and we would be thrilled if you never buy another scratch for your chickens ever again uh, because it's like giving Skittles to your kids. Um, and if you mix it, which I think is probably, you know, if you're going to give scratch as a treat, knock yourself out. But to mix it, I think that's one of the worst things you could do because when I go out to eat tonight with my family and I sprinkle Skittles into my son's green beans, what's he going to do? He's going to pick out the Skittles. Just like the chicken we have video of, it's going to pick out the scratch and not eat the nutritionally balanced laying pellets. Uh, There was a post on one of the uh, forums the other day, what do I need to give my chickens in the winter as far as diet? And I put laying pellets, period. Um, And (laughs) there you go. From the day they turn 16 weeks of age to the day they die, laying pellets. If that's all you give them, long, healthy life. Because we have people with lots of letters after the name that design this stuff, that know the chicken in and out, know the nutritional value, know, know the, the digestive laying pellets. Okay? Um, maybe a little bit boring? Yes. Do you want a healthy chicken or do you want a non-healthy chicken that may lead to um, – uh, having to pull calcium out of their bones because they're not getting the needed calcium or maybe uh, having fatty liver disease um, and because you're giving them too too many treats. And this is documented stuff from the uh, poultry labs around it. So nu- nutrition is it can be very important. It can it can factor the longevity of your your uh, chickens, how healthy they are, how many eggs you get. Um, it's there are studies out there that show if you just give scratch, you just give laying pellets, how many more eggs you're getting, how healthy your chickens are going to get. Um, and, and it's just kind of sometimes it's a touchy subject uh, with folks because they love to treat their chickens with, with these. And, and the issue there is don't kill them with kindness. And, of course, a lot of people say everything in moderation. Um, here's an idea, okay? Um, uh, you know, sometimes treats can be very expensive out there on the shelf of the store, okay? And you look at a 50-pound bag of scratch being anywhere depending on where you're at in the country, $8.50 to maybe, let's just say $12.50 for a 50-pound bag of scratch, and you utilize that as maybe your treat, a little bit of, you know, a handful in a little pie pan, uh, put it in that pie pan. Girls, you've got 10 minutes to finish it. If you're not done in 10 minutes, I'm taking the rest of it away. Boom, there's your treat. Not every day, every third day. And we don't want to really treat them at the exact same time every day because then what will happen? And we've talked about this to we're blue in the face with the poultry nutritionists as well. 
the chickens hear me coming down the gravel driveway, and here they come running. Why? Because every day when I get home and drive down the gravel driveway, they're going to get a treat from Mama. Okay? And then so here they come. So they're not going to eat their laying pellets because they know soon you're going to be home and you're going to give them this tasty treat, which is not going to be healthy for them. So um, a lot goes into nutrition. Another big thing and big talk right now is fermenting feed. Okay? There hasn't been done a lot of research on fermenting feed for poultry. Um, we had an expert from um, University of Kentucky come on and talk about this specifically. And the takeaway from there is this, and I still share it with folks, is look, if you're interested in fermenting feed for your chickens, don't get caught up into this five-gallon bucket. Cover it with water, let it sit for three days, and then you're golden, or whatever the case may be. And wait, you know, let it sit till it starts bubbling, and then you're good to go. Um, and then they're going to eat like and consume like half. I'm going to save half of my feed bill. Okay. In the factor chicken poop book, that is addressed. It is it is poop. Um, you might save a little bit, but saving half is not. It's, it's just not there. Uh, and we don't have a lot of science there, but we do follow up with this. If you're interested in fermenting your food, get you do your research. Do your research from reliable folks that have done the research that have the studies. Because if you don't, it can kill your flock. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy in your face, but it, it can um, due to I believe it's uh, the mycotoxins and things like that. So um, yeah, it's, it's more to it, folks, than just putting food in a bucket, filling it up with water, and then uh, it looks it smells kind of sour, it's bubbly. Let's go ahead and uh, uh, I think well, I think it's okay now because you saw it on a blog somewhere or a forum somewhere. Do your research and get that size because if you do it wrong, you can end up with dead birds, killing them with kindness or what you thought may have been kindness or maybe save you a few pennies because uh, they, you heard that they might eat less of that. So, I mean, it's, it's a loaded topic. These are things we see out there in the blogs and the forums about feed, treats, and, and, and the lamb pellets and things like that. So uh, I'm glad uh, Dr. Potesky, you know, he said, hey, let's do nutrition do's and don'ts today. Sounds good to me. Um, and I wanted to kind of get started with some of these things to think about uh, when Dr. Potesky comes in and uh, shares. I have no idea what he's going to share, but shares this information with us, kind of nutrition uh, do's uh, and, and don'ts. And you think about the science that goes into nutrition of the broiler birds, the commercial broiler birds and the commercial laying hens, um, and, what, and, and what goes into that because they're feeding the world and um, – you know, hey, there's a lot of chicken that goes out of Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and Applebee's and every play, everywhere else you guys eat out there. And so they have the science to know what's the keep feed, best feed conversion, what do we need to add in this feed um, for, for, the, you know, for these birds. They can, they can produce, they can grow big and, and provide meat for all those chickens that you're eating every year as Americans. So it even crosses over not just from backyard and hobby flocks, but also especially into the uh, commercial flocks. So... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna zip it and we're gonna go over to the uh, phone lines and we're gonna bring on Dr. Maurice Potesky and let him kind of share with us uh, his take on nutrition do's and don'ts for poultry. Uh, Dr. Potesky, thank you very much for joining us today. I'll uh, I'll zip it, kind of step off my uh, soapbox, if you will. <laughs> it's a kind of an everyday everyday thing out there with the with the uh, the treats and the and the. Uh, fermenting and then the scratch and then all this other stuff, the organic versus not all this stuff. And um, it's just, it's kind of, a, it's always been kind of a uphill battle when you're trying to uh, get, get the right information out there. So I'll digress and turn it over to you and you can kind of share wherever you were going to go in the show about nutrition, do's and don'ts. 
<laughs> Great. Well, thanks, Annie. Andy, good to be here again. Um, first of all, I, I am fine if you want to get back on your soapbox because that was really <laughs> a great uh, kind of primer on everything. And uh, you're you're really lucky in that you get to kind of listen in and, and have discussions with um, all these experts around the country. So um, that was really interesting. That was that was great to listen to. And I, I completely <laughs> agree with you. You've, you've, you've really summarized a lot of stuff. Um, so it was, it was really interesting. And the one, one thing I really, um, you know, kind of want to reiterate is that we do know more about, um, nutrition in poultry than in any other species, um, including humans. Um, so for obvious reasons, we have, um, you know, poultry feed is, um, the most expensive thing, um, that is associated with raising a flock of birds. Um, and it's the where we've made huge inroads in, in efficiency and welfare and food safety. Um, it really comes from improvements not just in genetics, but improvements in, in poultry. And, uh, you know, when we think about kind of these long-term goals of how are we going to feed close to 10 billion people by 2050, um, there's a lot of interest in, um, you know, using insects and all these other things. But um, it, it really does come down to not just genetics, but uh, poultry feed. How can we um, feed more people with less resources. So um, everything you said is, is really important, um, not only in our backyard flocks, but in commercial flocks. And there's a lot of really smart people that are working on this, um, these type of problems um, and challenges. Um, so one thing I wanted to point out, and I think you, you, uh, you really kind of summarized, I think, a lot of the challenges. I guess a lot of challenges that people create um, when it comes to feeding uh, their birds. Um, people try to get creative, and I think there's just a, some of us are are just wired where we like to be creative and we think we can do something better. Um, the way the world is now with social media, there's all kinds of claims um, that are often unfounded on the Internet about what you should feed, what kind of diet you should have. And I think the best example that I have of, of it, you know, somewhat misguided um, kind of approaches are in dogs and cats. And I just wanted to give a very brief example because this has come up again lately. Um, and it started in kind of the late 80s where we had, there's an amino acid called taurine. Um, and in dogs and cats, um, there was a very, there were a lot of cats and dogs in the, I guess late 80s, early 90s, that were having uh, a type of heart disease. And a uh, very clever uh, nutritionist uh, was able to figure out that um, it wasn't just a, a heart problem, but the heart, the heart problem was a result of a deficiency in this amino acid taurine. Um, and um, they were able to, uh, to prove that and to make sure that taurine was put in adequate levels in dog and cat food. Um, but recently, within the last year or so, we're starting to see uh, in dogs and cats a nice, uh, not a nice, uh, a peak again um, in, in these heart disease cases. And it's because of all the new different kind of fad diets that are matriculating or moving into into dogs and cats. So somehow some people got in their mind um, that um, dogs and cats shouldn't have, uh, they should have grain-free diets. Um, and these grain-free diets now have led to decreases in taurine, which lead to increases in uh, the specific type of heart disease related to these deficiencies in taurine. Um, and it's just interesting how history's kind of repeated itself again, um, where you have some very, I think you have companies that are trying to, um, and individuals that are trying to 
um, extrapolate from human nutrition into dog and cat nutrition and probably the same things going on in poultry uh, where they're using home prep diets that they're finding online, they're finding raw diets, they're finding unbalanced veg- uh, vegetarian diets. Um, and, and it's really important, these low-grain or no-grain diets, um, thinking that, that these are you know, kind of um, appropriate diets to utilize. And they're using a lot of different exotic ingredients now that we don't really know that much about with respect to digestibility and nutrition and bioavailability. Um, So diet is really complicated, and it's really important to recognize that um, you need to have the right nutrients in the right proportions. Um, And you also have to understand the effects of processing or not processing um, cause that really affects digestibility, nutrition, and bioavailability. So I kind of want to go over some, some do's and don'ts. Um, but, but the first thing I want to talk about is cause there are, and, and maybe Andy, you can comment on this. Um, there are a lot of different types of commercial poultry feed that are available. And, um, you know, I, I know we all kind of, Sometimes we just have that, 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 that spirit, which is great, of trying to be creative and thinking about, like, well, what can I do or what does this bag say on it or what did someone say on the Internet about this feed versus this feed? And, and I want to go over just a few basics, I think, of what people should do when they're deciding what type of commercial feed to purchase um, because they're not all created equal. Um, I think sometimes we, we assume that just because it's a commercial feed and it's on a store shelf or it's available online that, that, that we have a choice and that sometimes the expensive ones are going to be better for whatever reason because it's some of the, the claims they make. Um, so just a couple things so that, that I think people should really think about when they purchase an, um, a, a poultry feed. So the first thing is, does the company employ at least one full-time Ph.D. nutritionist? Um, so an, a Ph.D. in animal nutrition or board certified in veterinary nutrition um, or, um, or board certified, excuse me, in, in, in veterinary nutrition. So that's really important. Um, just having even a DVM is, is not appropriate. Um, we learn about nutrition, but I don't consider myself a nutritionist. Someone that is not a PhD in animal nutrition would not be the person that I would want and is not qualified to, um, to make a, um, a balanced ration in poultry or any other food animal. Um, so it's really important to kind of do your homework. That that bag is a marketing technique. The advertisements you see online are marketing techniques, and you, and you need to start kind of looking, you know, kind of peeling the onion uh, under the bag to really figure out, you know, the people that came up with this, aside from having a nice bag, did they did they really think about, you know, balancing these rations, or is this more of just, um, you know, kind of snake oil that they're trying to, to sell? So that's one really thing that, that's important to to, um, to think about. And to also ask the questions of, of what are the qualifications of the person that formulates their food? Again, if you're formulating feed in food animals or in animal animals, if these are pets or food animals, you need to make sure that you have a, a PhD in animal nutrition or that they're board certified via the European or American College of Veterinary Nutrition. Um, the other thing that you want to think about, um, does the manufacturer own the plant? Um, this sounds like you're kind of going into the weeds a little, but it's really important to understand that if you, most companies actually do own their own plants. Um, if they do not own their own um, plants, that, that really reduces the control they have over quality. Um, so now you really wonder, you know, are they even able to have, are they able to actually execute the, the, um, the ration that they're trying to formulate? 
again, you have real problems here because a lot of feed is produced for different animals in the same processing plant. So um, you can have real issues where you have residues from one um, batch of feed that get in another batch of feed, and those can have really significant effects. So it's really important that the, that the company control um, the manufacturing and the order of manufacturing, because if you're just getting a, you know, a couple hours in a processing plant and a different animal feed is being produced before that, and there can be different levels of coccidia stats and uh, different levels of minerals that are in those feed, those residues can get into your feed. And um, there are um, a lot of stories about how that can cause a lot of, um, a lot of toxic issues. Um, the other thing is when you look at the bag, it's really important to kind of think about what quality control measures um, the manufacturer is using. Um, so you should see and you should, if you contact the company, um, they should mention what types of quality control they're actually utilizing to make sure that the feed is produced um, as the nutritionist um, formulated the feed. So things like HACCP, hazard analysis, critical control points are really important from a food safety perspective um, because in a uh, feed processing plant, you have a potential for a lot of rodents and other things, so you want to make sure that there's no contamination of the feed. Um, one of the more important ones to look at is, um, is the food or feed tested by the Association of American Feed Control Officials? You can actually see this on the bag, so AAFCO. This is, again, it seems like we're going in the weeds a little here, but this is essential. If their food or feed is not tested by the AAFCO, that means they haven't done any feeding trials. Um, so this is really important to look at and to make sure that they have um, actually done this. Um, because if those feeding trials are not conducted, um, it's really hard to, to kind of understand any claims that they're making. So um, it can be really challenging to um, to verify, but being that AAFCO question, if they haven't done that, then basically a lot of the claims they're making are not based on any you know kind of regulated or science-based um, um, kind of knowledge, and that goes to the point again, you know, if they are saying like, well, we've done this research, then you you really need to ask, okay, well, show me the research, and if they're showing you a Word document from or a post on a website, that's not research. It needs to be peer-reviewed, and that goes again to why you want these PhDs involved. Um, you know, you can claim all kinds of things, but the reality is is that we can only go on, you know, what's repeatable, what's been peer-reviewed, um, because those are the um, types of studies that are essential for basically making any claims that a company is going to make. Um, so that AAFCO statement, I can't reiterate how important that is. Um, again, it tells you whether the food meets all the nutrient requirements. It tells you how that was determined. Um, and it also tells you the life stages um, that the food and feed is truly intended for. Is this intended for chicks? Is it intended for pullets? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, again, you want to ask... really quick there. Yeah. Talking about, you know, verification... That also goes to um, now uh, GMO, uh, and I know that's you know all these people love organic, and then they like the GMO, or they they get, get this all natural catchphrase. So uh, I will tell you this that and uh, our, our audience that anybody can just claim, oh yeah, this is made with non-GMO grains, or this is non-GMO. 
but um, you may want to look for that label, which is a third-party testing group called, I think it's GMO Project Verified, GMO uh, Project Verified, and it's a third-party source. I know that Kalmbach Feeds uses this and because they've got their organic feed, and of course if it's USDA certified you know, organic, it's non-GMO, but then it's, it's the higher price. So uh, for, for the Kalmbach label, you've got the non-GMO feed, and it's not organic, but it is non-GMO, and, and it's, I guess, for someone who says, oh, wow, that organic feed is awfully expensive, a little outside of my budget, but the non-GMO feed that they produce, you know, it's a little bit more than the all-natural, but it's more in my price range. I'll buy it. Um, so that goes, well, I just wanted folks to know that anybody at this point can claim, oh, yes, it's non-GMO, trust us, but to maybe look for that label uh, through the uh, non-GMO project verified, and it's a little logo that's on that bag, where a third party comes in and truly tests those grains and tests that feed to verify it's it's a non-GMO. Also, real quick to let folks know, the all-natural is not governed by any federal agency. Anybody can say have their own definition. Uh, my understanding of all-natural. So, for example, which we use here on on the farm um, for for their all-natural. They, uh, for that definition for Kalmbach feeds, is going to be no animal byproducts and no antibiotics uh, used in, in that. So it's that, you know, another company, if you see all natural on that bag, they may have different, totally different uh, classifications of what all natural means to them. So just to let you know that all natural, even on, I, I think, human feed is just kind of like whatever they deem it to be. But then, of course, with GMO, the next step up, Project Verified, that third-party source to confirm it's non-GMO grains. And then, of course, you have the USDA organic. And that's a whole other ballgame because if you dig deeper into that, I think there's a way you can see that they can use certain I don't know, pesticides or insecticides on it. But anyway, it's, it, that's a whole other show. But I just wanted to share those things with the audience, too, since you had mentioned kind of, uh, you know, really checking to see what, uh, what you know, is it really? Is it just their word for it, or is there ways you can go and check this and, and things to look for to make sure it's, it is legit? So I just want to thanks for letting me interrupt there. Yeah, no, that's great. That's I, I I need to add that to my list. That's a really good point. Um, and then the last thing. So again, I, I think you know this is not in the weeds, but I think when you go onto the websites um, and you talk to people, um, I've heard you know people kind of, um, for lack of a better phrase, basically bash um, other pet food companies, um, and the information they're using sometimes is based on myths rather than any factual information um, on their advertisements or websites. So this goes to that whole trust thing. I think it's really important um, that you just don't go off of like, well, my neighbors use this, this feed for, you know, 20 years for their chickens. Um, you know, that's what we would consider anecdotal. It's important to kind of say, Hey, that's interesting. I'll, I'll look into that. Um, but we really want to go, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, what someone is saying is not really – that that while that's interesting and, and somewhat relevant, um, we really want to try to kind of dive down a little deeper um, because some of these companies are a little fly-by-night um, and they don't have as much science behind what they're saying. And sometimes when they bash other companies and those, those, those comments are, are really not science-based – um, that's a red flag to me. Um, that really tells me that they're not, you know, being intellectually honest about what they're actually saying, that they've at some level, unfortunately, sometimes have drunk in their own Kool-Aid 
Um, and there's no science behind what they're saying, aside from just this anecdotal observation that they're going to take this ingredient out or put this magical ingredient in. Um, so, so you know, we spend money on our fee. That's probably our biggest expense. We, we should probably do just a little research in, into looking um, under the hood of, of what our, of what some of these companies are, are what all these companies are claiming, whether they're big or small. Um, so I think those are that, that, that I would put that in the do column of things that you know you need to look into if you really care about your chickens. What, the, 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 the biggest thing you can do is really think about what you're feeding them every day um, and ask those questions. Um, so we should all have a healthy skepticism of what it says on the bag, what it says on the website, what it says when you go to what you see in an advertisement. Um, those are all good things that I think we're all aware of. But sometimes with feed, we just kind of assume. Um, that something is is um, is has been fact checked, which obviously is not always the case. Um, and then just sliding into some of the things that that we need to be aware of. Um, so there's a lot of mistakes that commonly happen in feeding poultry, um, specifically with feeding the wrong feed. Um, and I think it just bears going over some of these basic things that we don't want to do. Um, we don't want to feed a layer feed to chicks, and we don't want to feed a layer feed to broilers. We don't want to uh, feed a layer feed in a perfect world to molting birds. Um, so the calcium levels are much higher in layer birds for obvious reasons. They need that calcium um, so they can uh, provide the necessary calcium in the eggshells. Um, if you fed that diet, for example, a layer diet, for example, to a broiler chicken, um, that can lead to death, that can lead to all kinds of leg abnormalities, that can lead to kidney problems. Um, so it's really important to make sure you're feeding the right feed um, to, to your birds. Again, this has been really well studied when you look at the um, the guidelines by the um, what is it? The NRC, um, they, and, and there's additional guidelines that are that are in uh, several different publications and several different um, peer-reviewed books and peer-reviewed publications. Um, those really give you kind of the um, uh, basic parameters of how much of uh, these different fats and carbohydrates and proteins that you need. Um, but it depends on what type of bird you have. So growing broilers, for example, require about 23% protein, and layers require about 18% protein. So there are cost reasons you wouldn't want to use the incorrect feed because protein is really expensive. Um, but there's also, um, um, there's also uh, health reasons that we don't want to do that at all. Um, so... The next thing I wanted to go over is I just want to go over kind of a basic overview of different dietary needs and then go over some examples of some um, nutritional diseases. And I think in there, within that, um, we'll, we'll have some do's and don'ts. But I think we all know, like, okay. our diets, just like chicken diets, have uh, sugars or carbohydrates in them. They have uh, protein, they have fat, and they have vitamins and minerals. Um and it's really important just to understand some of those basic sources. So we're in the United States, so we have a lot of corn. Um, so the major sources of carbohydrates um, in, in animal feed in the U.S., including corn. Um, but um, wheat is commonly used, uh, sorghum, um, rice. Um, those are also common sources of carbohydrates. But the main source um, for poultry feed is typically corn. That doesn't mean that you can't use sorghum. So in other parts of the world, that's actually a very common source of, of carbohydrate for food animals, including poultry. Um, when you look at major sources of protein, 
Um, again, in the United States, the most common source of protein in animal feed is soybean meal. Um, but um, other sources that are often used also in the U.S. are uh, bone meal and meat meal, um, poultry byproduct meal, which is um, typically um, um, birds that are euthanized and processed for animal feed, uh, fish meal. Uh, fish meal you have to be a little careful for because if you add too much fish meal to um, poultry feed, your eggs will have a very oily, um, not oily, but very fishy kind of uh, taste and smell to them. Um, so there are very strict recommendations on that. We don't use fish meal very much in the United States in part because it's a little more expensive over here than other parts of the world. Um, but in other parts of the world, they also use canola meal and rapeseed uh, rape meal uh, as, as sources of protein. And then finally, fats. So birds don't really eat very much fat, but they do have some. Um, the majority of the fat comes from tallow, which is just rendered animal fats, so from rendering facilities. Um, it's pretty amazing, uh, this kind of life cycle um, where birds, for example, are... Uh, euthanized and they go to a rendering facility and the bone meal and the rendered animal fat are the byproducts and those get used again for animal feed and for some other purposes um, but it's a pretty um, uh, closed loop um, I always get a little uh, it's interesting when people always say well we waste all, all these, <coughs> excuse me we waste all these parts of the bird you know in the United States we only consume maybe 60% of a broiler uh, versus other countries where they, they consume pretty much the whole entire bird. Uh, the good thing that we do, though, is we're very good at recycling that, uh, having that offal, that wasted, quote-unquote, um, part of the bird uh, go to a rendering facility where it can be converted to tallow um, and bone meal. Um, and then vitamins and, and minerals. So these are typically supplied as premixes at specific concentrations, um, and they're added like at a specific amount per kilogram of feed produced. Um, that's something we don't have to worry about, but um, the feed mills typically kind of worry about those type of things. So when we think about kind of feeding our birds, um, we want to have a different feed as a chick starter. Um, and we can use that chick starter. This is where it gets a little complicated because most poultry feeds, if you look at the commercial poultry industry, they have multiple feeds throughout the life cycle of a layer and a broiler. And really what they're trying to do is, is save money. Uh, protein's expensive. So they want to make sure that you're dialing in the amount of protein you need and not giving too much. Um, it gets a little more complicated for backyard birds and that typically we only have two feeds and that's a, a, a chick or starter feed um, and a layer feed. So my recommendation for backyard um, poultry enthusiasts is to use the uh, layer, excuse me, use the chick feed um, until about 17 weeks and then switch to a layer feed. In a perfect world, you want to have your layer feed about seven to 10 days, maybe two weeks before the birds go into lay. If you start giving them layer feed too early, um, like I said, the calcium and vitamin D levels um, are much higher in the layer feed. So it's really important to not have, give them these five, you know, five percent of their diet is calcium for too many weeks, or else they can start having some some kidney problems and potentially some joint problems. Um, so feed comes in a lot of different types of um, kind of physical uh, structures. Um, and the three main types that, that people are probably aware of is a mash, um, a pellet, and a crumble. So uh, a mash is a just coarsely ground feed. Um, it it's, has a small particle size um, to it. Um, it's, it's probably the least expensive. Um, the nice part about mash, it's easy to mix um, with other things. 
So if you have a vitamin premix, for example, or a certain probiotic that you were going to mix in there, um, it's much easier to, to mix. Um, the only problem with mash is that feed ingredients can settle out. Um, and then what that causes is what you were talking about earlier, is that birds can then preferentially, preferentially, preferentially eat certain ingredients. So if they're going to eat all this corn um, and the corn is not um, um, mashed or coarsely ground appropriately, um, they can kind of start kind of cherry picking um, what kind of feed they'll have, which kind of defeats the purpose of, of creating a balanced ra ration. Uh, pellets are my favorite um, kind of feed. Um, I just don't like feeding pellets to chicks um, because they don't they don't seem to do as well on a pelleted feed. Um, but once they're six or seven weeks old, I'm certainly reasonable to switch to a pelleted feed. Um, the nice part about pelleted feed is that um, all the ingredients um, in a mash are basically held together with a binder and heat treated in a pellet. Um, so this reduces bacterial load, increases digestibility. Um, it also, and I think this is really relevant for backyard producers, it's a lot easier to clean up. It doesn't spill as much. Um, and um, that means you're going to have less rodents, potentially um, less potential to draw uh, non-predatory and predatory wildlife into your coop. If uh, every night when you put your feed away, um, it's really easy to clean up any spilled feed. Um, so I like pelleted feed, uh, all things being equal, um, except in chicks. Um, and um, the only disadvantages of it, it's more expensive. And then every once in a while, and I've run into this a couple times um, in my career out at UC Davis, where you'll go visit a farm and the pelleted feed, the binder they use, um, is, is almost like a glue and it's really hard to break down. Um, so it's really important to make sure when you take a pelleted feed out of a bag, you should be able to put it between your hands and uh, put your hands together like when you're cold and you're trying to, you know, kind of uh, create some friction and some heat. Um, and, th and that pelleted feed should kind of break down into the mash that it was made from. Um, so sometimes that doesn't happen. And it's usually uh, feed mills that just aren't uh, used to working with poultry. Um, and finally, crumble. Um, so it's pellet, crumbles are typically pelletized feed that's broken down into small pieces. And that's usually the best one for, for young poultry um, to kind of um, to allow them to, to, di to, to eat and digest it um, as easily as possible. Um, so the next thing I kind of wanted to kind of walk through are just some nutritional problems that typically happen. Um, and to go over what the clinical signs are and then what the nutritional um, cause of that um, clinical sign is. Um, okay. and, and hopefully this will kind of walk people through some of the common scenarios that, um, that people run into um, in part because of poor nutrition. So one thing I always get, you know, the typical kind of question, someone will call or email and they say their birds are not laying eggs and they're asking if they're sick. Uh, obviously, that can be a lot of things. So one cause, just in the general sense, is poor nutrition. It could be disease, though, also. It could be seasonal. So this time of year, obviously, um, we have less light. So this is when uh, a lot of our birds, including our backyard birds, will start molting. Um, and, but it's also important to realize that old birds will stop producing eggs as they get um, a little older. Um, so um, when we think about this from a nutritional perspective, though, um, it can it can – it can be related to, um, like I said, molting. Um, but another reason is that they have low energy and or low protein in their diet. Um, so if they're not following um, an appropriate uh, total mixed ration, 
um, that will cause them to, to stop laying. So the problem is when someone calls me up and they say, well, my birds are not laying eggs, are they sick, whatever it be, um, you know, one of the things that I'll, one of the first things I'll ask is like, okay, what are you feeding them? Um, and, and sometimes that will lead to an interesting discussion. Sometimes, like I said, it is disease. Sometimes it's, it's, especially this time of year, I'll, I'll ask them if they're starting to lose feathers because those are consistent with molting. Um, and then, you know, you kind of go down that, the, all those different scenarios. Um, the other thing that I typically will get calls on is why do, uh, the eggs have soft shells? So again, this could be disease, this could be the age of the hen, this could be the end of a lay cycle, um, so, um, but it can be nutritional, um, and from a nutritional perspective, um, often um, it's important to realize that uh, low calcium in the diet can lead to uh, softer thin shells, and those softer thin shells can lead to more cracks and checked eggs. Um, so when they don't have enough calcium for their diets, it, it's important to realize that um, most of the calcium that uh, chickens require comes from dietary limestone or oyster shell. Um, but they'll sometimes, in, in, in a pinch, they'll basically draw extra uh, calcium uh, from bones to get it to the eggs. Um, this can occur kind of at the end of lay cycles, and the thin shells could indicate um, if they're if they're drawing if if they're if they're trying to get all this calcium into uh, the shells, um, and you have thin eggs, that could be one of the first signs of osteoporosis, um, which can obviously lead to a lot of um, orthopedic problems, fractures, things like that. Um, so supplementing the diet with more calcium would help in that scenario. Um, it's important to realize that the poultry that, you, that, that too much calcium is actually not a good thing either. That can also lead to, uh, among other things, some kidney problems. Um, so it's important to kind of realize that the diet is as long as that calcium level is five percent or above. Um, as long as that calcium is considered bioavailable, and that means um, by AAFCO and their feeding trials that the, whatever calcium source they were using was identified as, um, as, as appropriate for a layer diet. Um, it's important to kind of recognize that because not all calciums are considered equal. There's um, many different forms of calcium, um, and the particle size of the calcium matters. Um, so it's important to kind of think about, especially in laying birds, not only the percentage of calcium, but, but the bioavailability of that calcium is also really important. Um, one thing I, want to do, I wanted to point out is um, there are disease, so, so soft shells can come from disease also, um, not just the end of the lay cycle. So um, there is a disease called egg drop syndrome, um, and it's a virus, um, and that you get these kind of thin-shelled or shellless eggs even, um, or the eggs can kind of have this sandpapery type um, uh, rough side. We don't have egg drop syndrome in the United States yet, but um, the way the world works, it, it wouldn't surprise me at some point if it does pop up here. So it's always important to kind of um, realize, you know, what are other some potential um, kind of scenarios. Um, the other thing I run into is, um, you know, you always hear this thing, one of my chickens is eating the eggs. How do I stop this? So this is where you kind of cross into behavior a little, but the one thing I would mention is that um, it can also have a nutritional component to it. Um, it's, a pro it's a common problem, um, and there's a lot of different ideas on why this happens, uh, but if your birds don't have um, a um, – uh, if they have low energy in their diet – 
then this is a, a very common uh, response to a, a low-energy diet and using a properly balanced diet, um, maintaining um, you know, some, some, some husbandry aspects like uh, appropriate number of nests for hen, keeping the lighting in the boxes low are important husbandry measures to think about. But it's also important to recognize that uh, when your chickens are eating eggs, that can come from one of the components of that behavior um, can be uh, having a low-energy diet. Um, in addition to some of these other behavior and husbandry um, kind of things. Um, and then finally, the other kind of emergency kind of backyard question that comes up is uh, chicken is egg bound. So when that happens, obviously, um, that is considered an emergency because if that egg breaks, they can get an E. coli infection and usually they'll die from that. Um, and it's important to realize as, as birds get older, um, they're still um, laying the same. They're, they're still putting the same amount of calcium in the shell, uh, but those shells, those, those eggs, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So um, birds can get egg bound, um, especially as they get older, and it's it's a challenging type of treatment. Um, there are uh, specific uh, recommendations on, on calcium and oxytocin um, to kind of help those birds. And you know, you can always think about all the different types of, of lube and putting them in a kind of a dark place. Um, to kind of calm down and hopefully pass that egg, but one of but but when the biggest kind of question after you've dealt with the um, the specific emergency is okay, well what was the cause of that? Um, obviously, large eggs can be just the cause just by itself. Some of these um, eggs can be malpositioned, and, and especially as the reproductive tract gets older, um, things like inflamed um, uh, oviducts and um, the muscles in the oviduct don't work as well. Um, but the other thing to be really aware of is it can be related to improper nutrition. So I talked about one of the treatments being calcium. So it can be improper nutrition related to um, lack of calcium or protein or vitamin A and E um, and even selenium. Um, so it's really important to kind of think about all these different type of problems and realize um, that there is a nutritional component in them potentially. Sometimes, like I said earlier, there's a, there's a disease component, um, but we kind of need to be aware of you know, what the nutritional components are, when we see those clinical signs to kind of think through the problem, um, to work with our extension uh, faculty like myself, and, and there's people like me in, in pretty much um, most states that can, that can advise you. Uh, if there aren't, there are small animal veterinarians that are um, somewhat knowledgeable, but you're always welcome to reach out to um, extension in other states um, to get help there. Um, so the other things, the other diseases that I'll often see, um, so now these are um, kind of common diseases that you'll also see that are related specifically to nutrition. So disease called rickets. Um, so we're probably familiar with, with rickets and um, how this, um, in, in humans, especially um, uh, kind of back in the old days on ships and things like that, so rickets is just a deficiency of vitamin D3, uh, phosphorus, or in an imbalance between calcium and phosphorus. So this calcium-phosphorus ratio, I'm not going to talk about too much, but just because you have the calcium in there, it's really important to have the calcium and the phosphorus bioavailable at a specific, um, at a specific uh, ratio. Um, rickets usually occurs due to poor rations. Um, and what you'll see in your birds are these pliable, kind of soft beaks and bones um, and enlargement of the ribs at the junctions of, of, of the ribs. 
Um, and the treatment in a medical sense is vitamin D3 or calcium carbonate. Um, but, but the big picture is like if you start seeing rickets, if you start seeing these malformed or soft beaks, um, then it's really important to think about, okay, what's going on from a dietary level? What are we doing that's, that's incorrect? Because if you see it in one bird, you're probably going to start seeing it in the rest of your flock. So that, that first bird might just be the sentinel, and you're just about to have a whole um, nutritional um, kind of uh, problem. The other thing that, that you'll typically see is a, a vitamin E deficiency. Um, this is kind of a sad one because this causes a brain um, disease called encephalomalacia. Um, and it occurs in only typically in chicks that are fed uh, low vitamin E. So this kind of goes to one of the don'ts. If you have some chicken feed, uh, especially chick feed, and you say, oh, we, 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 we bought too much chick feed. Let's just save this for next year when we have our, um, when we start hatching again, or you say, we'll save it for a few months from now. Well, unfortunately, some of the fat soluble vitamins like vitamin E can be oxidized and can, can break down and become ineffective. Um, and then, like I said, if you have um, not enough vitamin E, um, that can lead to um, in this encephalomalacia disease, which, which happens very quickly. There's no treatment for it. It can happen typically in chicks, um, between 10 and 20 days of age. Um, and what you'll see is you'll see kind of um, birds that are uh, chicks that are, uh, they're very wobbly. They're not very stable when they stand up. They're very uncoordinated. Um, and the affected birds don't recover. Um, but you can try to add supplemental vitamin E to their food or water um, to kind of address that. But as far as how to prevent that, um, it's to make sure that the feed that you have is not stored in super hot conditions, not stored in super moist conditions, because under hot conditions, um, the um, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, length of time that that feed is actually um, of good quality um, is reduced. So uh, if you stored feed for uh, a month in a nice dry, cool area, um, that feed could, could last for, for a few months. Um, you just never want to buy so much extra feed that it's going to be stored for months uh, especially if you're going to be storing it in a hot place um, because under those hotter temperatures, enzymes can uh, break down things faster. And, again, you don't want to store it under, under moist conditions because that's when you start getting some molds and aflatoxin production. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 30 days here is what I, I try to do. I try to buy enough. It lasts me about 30 days if I um, – have a little left over when I buy my 30-day supply for all our animals, and it includes the pigs, the cows, the goats, chickens, the rabbits, dogs, cats. Um, I'm, it may run over to the, the max um, six weeks, but you know we live we're very humid here, so um, but yeah, I try to I try to max that out to 30 days. Sometimes it may run up to six weeks. Pretty rare, but um, that that would be the very max uh, that we do here as far as uh, storing storing the feed. Hey, if you don't yeah, mind, let a, me go to a commercial break. That's a great rule of thumb. Let me go to um, a commercial break real quick, Doc, if you don't mind. Uh, today we're talking about nutrition, do's and don'ts. We're talking with uh, poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we will return uh, right after this short break. So make sure you stay with us, folks. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. 
I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. Here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H-Feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. This looks like a job for Super Chicken. You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Today's topic, nutrition do's and don'ts for poultry. And our guest today is poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski. Let's bring him back on live and then he'll uh, continue and wrap up uh, with uh, his outline for today's show. Yeah, well, thanks for... Um 
for discussing this important topic. Um, so the last few things I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to talk about uh, fatty liver syndrome, which I know you talked about in kind of your, your opening. Um, so, you know, kind of my take on this is just like humans, chickens don't always know when to say when um, with food. Um, so um, I know I have that uh, same issue when it comes to like chips and salsa. So, um, and chicken <laughs> scratch is, is the equivalent of like chips and salsa minus the salsa part, unfortunately. Um, so chickens can get obese and uh, one kind of side effect of uh, kind of that obesity is their, their liver lobes um, turn fatty. Um, and the problem with that is, is that those, uh, those liver uh, lobes now are very what we call friable. They can, they can break apart really easily. They kind of crumble. Um, and the problem with that is that there's a lot of blood vessels in there, so they can basically bleed out and, and kill the chickens. So um, I know we all love to make our pets and spoil our pets. That's, that's one of the joys of having pets. Um, but we just, I think you gave some great suggestions earlier on how to, um, you know, thread the needle where you get to still, you know, kind of spoil your pets, um, but, but make sure that's a, a minimal part of your, of your chicken's diet. Um, because that is a huge, that's becoming a much more common problem. Um, there's probably some genetic elements to that too. Um, but we just don't know enough about that. And like I said, if, um, and I think, like you said, also, uh, we know so much about poultry nutrition. Why wouldn't we, um, you know, kind of leverage that information um, in order to, to have our, our birds live as, as happy and healthy life as possible? Um, so the, the last disease I want to talk about is, is vitamin A deficiency. So we talk about vitamin E deficiency. I know this gets confusing after a while. Um, so vitamin A is also fat-soluble. So A, D, E, and K are the fat-soluble vitamins. And um, just like vitamin E, if, if you don't store your, your feed correctly, vitamin A can break down. And in a, in a, remember we talked about in vitamin E, you'll have that encephalomalacia disease, and typically in chicks, um, and that the, the birds will be, what you'll see is, is the birds are very um, kind of unstable, uncoordinated. Well, in vitamin A deficiency, the, the birds um, will have very poor growth and feathering, um, and, and in very severe cases, the, they'll have a difficulty standing. You can also sometimes see blood spots in eggs. Um, the, the problem with all of these clinical signs is that very rarely, there's usually not one clinical sign where you go, oh, that's vitamin A. So, so blood spots, for example, can be um, just from older hens also. So I think one thing I want to reiterate is that when you see something, I think nutrition has to be on your um, you know, kind of list of, of causes, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's like a slam dunk for that. Um, you just have to kind of, you know, do what uh, a veterinarian would do and you have to kind of investigate each option um, and, and go with the treatment and diagnosis that, that, that seems the most reasonable. Um, so that vitamin A deficiency can also happen in, in younger birds. Um, and, and the nice part about vitamin A is that you can, um, those clinical signs of the poor growth and the feathering, you know, you can, you can, you can see. Um, so it's always nice when you can kind of sort of see those actual physical uh, clinical signs as opposed to uh, some other diseases where it can be a little more challenging um, to, to, to make those observations. The last thing I wanted to mention is I, I, I think, you know, one of the things we've kind of talked about today, uh, especially when you're thinking about what feed to purchase is to, is to do your homework, um, you know, to make sure that the manufacturer, for example, has that at least that one full-time PhD boarded, uh, veterinary nutrition. Uh, I love English, but make sure it's not a PhD in English. 
Um, you know, these are all, it, it, these are very specific qualifications are really qualified, <laughs> well, <laughs> um, researched people. So when people say they have a PhD, you really got to start going down a little further. Um, so maybe they have a PhD in, uh, dairy, um, production. Well, that's great, but that, that's still kind of not, you know, exactly what, what we're looking for. These are really specialized people. Um, and, and, and they've spent, um, more time and, and energy than, than most of us are willing to do to literally learn um, how to feed poultry. Um, so why wouldn't we want to utilize those, those that knowledge? There's nothing wrong with, you know, there, there's obviously uh, room for, you know, creativity um, in, in, in this area, but um, we just want to make sure that creativity is based on something that's reasonable um, and it's going to be at the minimum will do no harm um, as opposed to, um, you know, that taurine, for example, where they were removing wheat from the diet um, and that caused these taurine deficiencies, which um, causes heart disease. Those are real life ramifications. That being said, you know, people are always going to be creative and interested in, you know, how to generate and, and create their own um, poultry feed. So uh, the University of Georgia has a great website called the Poultry Nutritionist's Toolkit. Um, it's got a kind of collection of tools and Excel-based workbooks um, for students, farmers. Um, so there's workbooks on vitamin premixes and determining economic levels of protein to feed your poultry. So I would really encourage people um, to go fiddle with that. Um, there's some great instructional information provided on each one of those spreadsheets. Um, I haven't reached out to the faculty to ever ask them uh, specific questions, but it is it is an entertaining and interesting kind of uh, approach. Um, and, and I think especially with people that have kids, um, it's a really interesting way to kind of uh, think about the economics and to think about production, uh, to think about how to make sure your birds are, are healthy. Um, and and those, those spreadsheets can kind of help walk you through how to do that um, if, if you're really keen on trying to create your own, your own feed. Uh, you know, the, the goal of a poultry nutritionist and any kind of uh, food animal nutritionist is not just to create a balanced ration that the birds are happy and healthy and productive, but to do that as cost-effectively as possible. So it gets complicated because uh, feed you know, corn prices go up or down, and then you have to try to find replacements for them. Um, and it, it's a real interesting challenge um, what they're able to um, what they're able to 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 to, to develop um, depending on access to different ingredients. So it's it's an interesting job, and, and I think this, these, some of these work um, workbooks kind of give you. Uh, options on on figuring out pricing if that's something that's even of interest just from a intellectual perspective. So um, those are the, awesome. the main kind of recommendations I, I, I have. It's uh, one that you had, were talking about something that reminded me of an analogy that I use with people talking about giving their chickens yogurt for a treat and in their mind anyway they think oh this is so nutritious for them and I'm giving them extra calcium and, and all this great um, bacteria to improve their gut and you know we've talked about this for probably close to a decade it was kind of one of my soapboxes early early on and so we've had the poultry nutritionist on and, and we share with the folks that you know chickens don't have the necessary enzymes in their gut to properly digest dairy too much cannon will give them diarrhea and old-time chicken farmers, when they had a coccidiosis outbreak, they'd, you know, give them all this milk to try to give them the diarrhea, to try to flush some of that out, you know, old school, um, and then there's not enough good bacteria in store-bought yogurt to benefit 
the poultry, uh, you know, the chicken's gut, but there's a lot of bad things they don't need, like sugar, high fructose corn syrup, uh, artificial colors, artificial flavors, and, you know, by no means by just giving them one cup that's going to kill them dead. But why get into that habit to begin with if you're, again, essentially just kind of wasting money or the only thing you're really doing is making yourself feel good because you feel like you're spoiling or treating your chickens. And, and we go through this about, you know, one cup of Chobani yogurt is about a dollar at, say, Walmart. And if you do this every day, that's, you know, that's $30 a month that you're spending on really wasting on to, to make you feel good about yourself treating your chickens when you could literally spend about $20, so $10 less, and getting a uh, probiotic designed for poultry uh, that it's a liquid and you do a, however many two, three capsules into their water, and then now you have that um, assurance that, yes, this is designed for poultry and you may be actually helping them with this probiotic. And, and when we go through that, people often will say, well, I'm in my programs, well, why don't people do that? It, it, it makes sense. And at the end of the day, the only answer I have for them from talking with folks is that it's just not fun to go outside and open this, you know, bottle and pour two catfuls in their water, and then there you go, enjoy it birds. Uh, but it is fun to open up a cup of yogurt and set it out for them and watch them, you know, peck at it, come a run in and get yogurt all over their beak and their waddles. And people say that's cute, fun, and it makes them feel all warm and fuzzy inside because they're treating their chickens. So I think that's a that's a perfect example we've used for years and years and years uh, on this when um, not only are they throwing money down their drain, they're not helping their chickens or stuff that the chickens probably don't need in that, but at the end of the day, it makes them feel warm and fuzzy. And it's, I guess, fun to do versus maybe really benefiting them by and saving money with the probiotic designed for poultry. So I wanted to wrap up the show kind of with that as we've been using that scenario for years. And it's the uh, hopefully people can take away with that, you know, kind of add like all our shows and uh, what what they wish. But Doc, thanks for coming on. It's a great show. You touched on a lot of things. We uh, when we've done nutrition shows in the past that uh, we haven't touched on, so that was good. Makes a really good, unique show that uh, tune in and listen to. And we do appreciate you coming on. And uh, oh, if you don't mind, if if you have any real quick, quick, uh, the update on the, uh, uh, the exotic Newcastle uh, disease that's going on over there in California. Um, the uh, um, Let's see what was I guess it was last month when I attended the uh, broiler conference and the layer conference over here at uh, UGA. We we talked about it a little bit. We had somebody that talked about it, but is is um has that been ceased? Is it kind of still in the ongoing stages? Have, have, are we past this now? Um, I don't think at this point any commercial flocks were affected. Thank goodness, unless that's changed, uh, and, and if this has kind of been put to bed for this outbreak. I haven't heard really many updates. I know you're going to be doing, I think, an article for the, I think, for the magazine. But anyway, um, can you let us know kind of where, where that stands right now over there? Yeah, the the most recently there um, there was a case, uh, the 150th case uh, since May was diagnosed in the um, uh, live bird market, uh, live bird market in Southern California. Um, but it seems, other than that, like you said, and I think this is probably the most important thing to, to focus on, it has not spread into the commercial poultry industry, and it hasn't spread outside of uh, the three or four counties in Southern California um, that it has been um, kind of isolated to at this point. Uh, still a lot of testing and surveillance going on, a lot of door-to-door um, types of visits. 
uh, a lot of surveys that are that are being handed out um, in order to better understand um, uh, movement patterns. Um, so um, those, that's kind of the basic um, kind of update on where we are with that outbreak. Okay, I've told people that, um, that, <clears throat> that, that as bad as as bad as the, it was was it was it thirty was it thirty six thirty five. I think it was more than 3,500. Wasn't it 36,000 birds that I think have been cold with this one? The last number I saw, 35,000. But um, uh, but what what I was going to say is the I guess I know when it's all over they'll deem it you know a, a success or not or what, what we could learn from it. But you know I, I think we learned so much from the 2003 outbreak where 4.3 million birds or whatever was cold and 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 dealing that I I think. They jumped on this really, really quick. I think they knew exactly what to do. They had their ducks in a row, and no pun intended, and, um, and, and really, uh, I don't know, I think kudos to the folks that are doing that. And uh, the lady who spoke with us was on the ground, knocking on doors, doing the surveys, um, you know, doing the exams and things like that. It was a great uh, program that she did. It really opened up a, a lot of eyes and ears for, for us. But, um, yeah, I think that maybe one of the big um, achievements for not getting into, at this point, uh, the um, commercial farms out there is the fast response and the proper response that I've seen and heard so far. So hopefully that was uh, it will continue and, and we'll limit that risk. So, uh, Doc, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. And we'll see you. I think uh, it will still be early December, but look for you to coming back. Uh, let's see, I guess it will be the second week in December, which puts this at the December 13th. So we'll have another great topic for everybody with Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis. Thanks, Doc, for coming on today. We appreciate it. And, uh, hey, great. have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family because I, I won't see you until December. That's right. Well, thanks again for having me, Andy, and happy Thanksgiving to you also. Thank you. You take care. All right, that's going to wrap up another show, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Calm Bach Feeds. Again, to wrap up, it was Nutrition Do's and Don'ts for Poultry with poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Pateski. And if you missed any of the show, don't worry. It will be archived for your listening pleasure here in just a few minutes. And the link... Uh, you can share with all your friends so they can listen as well. Don't forget, subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Just go over to chickenwhisperermagazine.com, click on that subscribe button, and you can subscribe for free. If you're one of those, and there are many, that like a real magazine, you can flip through the pages while you're sitting in your easy chair on a rainy Saturday afternoon, uh, and then you can catalog those. Um, then uh, we can do that as well. It's nine ninety five per year, mailed right to your mailbox. Alrighty, folks. I hope y'all have a wonderful week and weekend. We'll see you next Thursday, two p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, right here on Block Talk Radio. Next week, I believe we've got yeah, poultry scientist Dr. McCray. Alrighty, have a great day, everybody. God bless. Uh-huh.